0: and some leaps off the page I, I remember the first time I encountered them uh, my daughter took great delight and I thought they were, they were conning me they had these pictures and they could see things that I couldn't see in, in these things and I thought the whole household was against me they were talking about dinosaurs and birds and things and I just couldn't see anything and when I was studying for this uh, week's sermon, th- the, word that, the word that actually came to me was perspective. And, and God asks us to have a different perspective on life. Just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's, there, it's not there. And I remember the time when these things leapt off the page. And I could see what other people could see. I was so relieved. But I still struggle with them now. You know, every now and then I look at one and I think, I, I can't really see it. But if, if I relax my mind and, I, and if if it comes off the page, I can see it. But but there are so many truths in the Word of God that require us to, to move in faith, to move and believe that our God is always in control, that our God always loves us, that nothing can ever possibly happen in our lives without his authority, his um, assurance that he remains in control. And so often, that truth is opposed to where I stand. And um, I'm sure sometimes in your own lives, it's opposed to where you stand where you would prefer life to be different. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just maybe not the place to find peace. So today, we continue the journey of David, and David's life is falling apart. David, you will remember, and you need to hear what I'm saying, uh, because there's a quiz coming in two weeks. That's inside information. Okay, And this might be one of the questions. I can't guarantee it because I'm not setting the quiz. But David was anointed to be king as a child. Maybe somewhere between 10 and 15 years of age. And he may have had God's anointing to be king, but he wasn't the king God needed him to be. Think about the difference, what I've just said. God wanted David to be a different kind of king than what he would have been had David not travelled through some of this stuff in his life. And if we immediately apply that little statement, just maybe we can take a step of faith and say this. That actually, God who calls us, God who anoints us to be his children, and has a calling on our life, maybe some of the stuff that God allows to come into our lives, actually has a purpose. It doesn't mean he necessarily causes it. I'm not saying that. But he is sovereign and over all of things, that actually... Even the dreadful stuff God takes and does something if we will allow it. I'll give you a demonstration. A year ago, not far ago, not almost a year ago, Karen died. You know, and and if I was writing the story, if I was writing the ending, she'd be sat here today. But she's not sat here today. But somehow, in all of that, God is still at work. And, and, you know, this is grown-up stuff. It requires a step of faith. It requires a step of faith with all the prayers, with all the hospital visits, and all the things that went along with it. And yet, we often talk about her. We often remember her. God still uses her, even though she's not here. I mean, how amazing is that? it's just to put you in the frame of where we're going let's look at uh, what happens in David's life we'll put the scripture Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8 1 Samuel 18 the ending part is this when Saul realised that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David Saul became still more afraid of him and he remained his enemy for the rest of his days David who had conquered Goliath that might be another quiz question. Sorry, I'll stop that, Matt, now. <laughs> David who had, who had conquered Goliath. He was the love of the nation. He's on a high. And yet, a couple of times last week, we saw that Saul that tried to kill him. God removing some of these things in David's life, directing his path. And had we asked David at that time, where's God in all of this? I'm sure David was looking for him. And saying, really God? This is happening to me? I thought I was your king. Do you know, when we read the Psalms, the Psalms are 3,000 years old. 3,000 years old. And had David not done some of what was going to happen in his life, we would have been robbed of 73 Psalms. Think of that. God using him. But he's having to take him through some very difficult times. So Saul, the king, is afraid of the of the future king. A young adult. Michael, remember last week, Michael was Saul's daughter. He'd been given to Saul. And Saul's thoughts were this. Either David might get killed, paying for the bride price. We won't go there again. Or... Michael will be a snare to David she'll pull him down, trip him up in some way she'll catch him so as we enter chapter 19 let's see what happens the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle and as often as they did David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers and his name became well known David Becoming the love of the nation, the anointed of God. But Saul's jealousy is rising all the time. And so Saul comes clean now. He actually begins to orchestrate something to happen in David's life. And that something is is death. He wants David off the scene. So Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. I mean, I read that and I think this. What do they think? David's the champion. And yet the king gives an instruction. Oh, it's time to get rid of him. And they're caught between a rock and a hard place. They've got to follow the king. But what do they think? Anyway, Jonathan, the son, who loves David, who sees something in his heart, something that must have reminded Jonathan of, of his own passion, Decides to take a stand for David. Let's see what happens. Jonathan's warned David and he says, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell him what I find out. That's quite a brave step for Jonathan, by the way to confront the king and he's going to confront him with three questions and the three questions are really important and when we come out of Samuel today David asked the same three questions watch what Jonathan asked his dad Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father and said to him let not the king do wrong to his servant David He's not, he has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. All the victories that David is encountering with the Philistines. From the moment he defeated the giant. The nation has been prosperous. It's been pushing the Philistines back. Saul, remember the, the ladies were, were, were singing that Saul had killed the thousands. His own reputation was attached to David. Everything that David did. He was a faithful servant. A faithful servant. Move on. He took his life in his hands when he killed a Philistine. That's the giant. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel. And you saw it and you were glad. Do you remember that day, Saul, when the young man killed the giant? And his victory ignited the army and the army rushed down and there was a great slaughter as the Philistines retreated. It benefited all of Israel. Why then? Why, Dad, would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Alright, the card's on the table. This is what's going to happen. You're killing an innocent man. Forbidden in law. Obviously, forbidden in Jewish law. But you're going to do it. He's appealing to to Saul's senses. Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. Ever taken an oath for God? Ever taken an oath for God? (laughs) Well, do do you know that it's very true, John? Very true. Absolutely. Do you know what a difference this country would be if that one thing was followed? Where actually we did take a stand and said we believe this stuff. I never even thought of that. Thank you for your help. And on the front row, my wife thought of it, which is good news for me. Sometimes we take an oath and we don't really believe in who we're taking the oath for. Sometimes we can um, almost pretend that that doesn't happen. didn't really mean those words. Or sometimes we just change our mind when the circumstances get tough. But for now, and this is the key to those first verses. God has used Jonathan to deliver David. Do you all see that? God has used a man to deliver his servant David. Fairly straightforward. Son talks to dad. Dad withdraws the um, the hit on David. For modern language. Okay. If that ended there... Short sermon. Jack is happy. It doesn't end. Move on. Okay. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul and David was with Saul as before. However, verse 8 follows verse 7. Once more, war broke out and David went out and fought the Philistines and he struck them with such force that they fled before him. God anointing him in battle, the, the, um, the victory is assured again through this young man. Move him on. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house, with his spear in his hand, while David was playing the lyre, the harp. One has got a spear, who stayed at home in the battle by the way, the other has got the harp, who had just been out to do the war. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. What happened to your oath? That didn't last too long, did it? I thought Saul had sworn on oath that he would not kill David. So who rescued David in that situation? Some say God. All saying, God. Do you think David played a part? He moved out the way. Yeah. Do you know what? Sometimes, sometimes we've got to do something. Sometimes, actually, God does everything. But sometimes you and I have got to get out the way. And that can mesh with your head a bit, really. What would have happened had David stood there? Would the spear have gone, stop, fall down? We don't know, do we? But I'll tell you this much. David eluded him. Did God show David what was going to happen? Maybe if you were playing the harp in front of a king who had previously twice tried to throw a javelin at you, you might keep an eye on him. or Or be looking in the mirror over your shoulder. It probably would be sensible. But somehow... The king, and I would believe this, that Saul was probably a good shot with a spear. If your life depends on it and you regularly go out to war, you're going to practice that art. And so maybe there's a bit of God in that. Maybe there's a bit of David in that. I think actually both of them are in that. That David and God did that. But look at what it says. It ends on that verse. That night, David made good his escape. He didn't sit back around and say I know God's always going to save me I'll just keep playing the harp He took matters into his own hands Sometimes Christians can throw the brains out the window I don't like that Don't do that You know you've got intelligence Sometimes you've just got to put a bit of common sense in play David it's not good for you to be around Saul Get out the way What does Saul do? Move on. Right, verse eleven. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it to watch it and to kill him in the morning. You've got to give Saul credit. He's determined, isn't he? You know, he's a sort of focused sort of chap. But Michael, David's wife, warned him If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. Okay. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled and escaped. Once again, David has to do something. Who rescued David? Michael. I agree, behind the scenes, God's at work. Absolutely, he's always at work. Nothing can happen to David unless God allows it to happen. But Michael plays a massive part. I would suggest this to you, look. In the first instance, a man rescued David, Jonathan. In the second instance, David rescued David. And in the third instance, a woman. Yes, he'll even use a woman. That was for Paul Simpson. (laughs) He'll even use a woman to rescue a man. Anyone want to challenge me on that? Happy with that so far? All of you look happy. None of you throwing spears at me as I turn my back. That's good news. So what does Michael do? Michael's in a bit of a pickle now. There are these people outside the house wanting to kill her husband. Her dad's the king. Let's see what Michael can do. She comes up with a ruse. Then Michael took an idol. What's an idol? <laughs> a false god. Yeah. Anything you put in front of God. That's for excellent, Vicky. Yeah. Something that you put in front of God. In this instance, we get a bit of a description. Michael took an idol and laid it on the bed. That's not Man United. Covering it with a garment and putting some goats at the head. You get the impression... This thing is a bit like a statue, I would suggest. Yeah? Why is it in the house? Why is David allowed that in the house? David, you're God's anointed son, God's anointed king. Why have you allowed your wife to have this in the house? You know when Saul said, I'll give him Michael, she'll be a snare to him. We just get an insight into where Michael's head's at. David should have challenged her and had it removed from the home. Maybe he didn't because he was frightened of Dad. After all, Dad is the king. But that's no excuse, you know. And then you can have a bit of amusement with the rest of it. Fancy putting some goat's hair on? I mean, if you came knocking at our door and Kay said, look, he's ill... There's this baldy idol on the bed with a bit of fuzzy hair or whatever. That's what's happening. Does she turn around to the, to the to the guys and said, Look, he's really poorly. Look at the colour of him. Even his hair's gone funny. When Saul sent the men to capture David, Michael said, He is ill. He's ill. And then Saul sent the men back to see David and told them, Bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. That's brave Saul. Bring him along. I'll finish him off even if he's ill. But David's not there. He's on the run. But when the men entered, there was an idol in the bed. And at the head was some goat's hair. Saul said to Michael, Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? And Michael told him, he said to me, let me get away. Why should I kill you? Did David say that? Do you know there's lies in the Bible? You've just read one. There's lies in the Bible. Is that is that like a white lie? Have Ever read that one? Ever done it? I'm looking at your faces now, okay. Fibbing. Michael fibbed. It's in the Bible. I want to show you something from that passage. Can we put the next scripture up for me, Graham, please? This was such a joy this morning. Matt came up to me, and, because we're on holiday for two weeks. Matt came up and just said, look, this is what he wants to do. He wants to preach from a psalm next week. And I said, that's amazing, because I've got one. From that very event that I've just shared, where Michael lowered David out the window... Where he put an idol, where she put an idol on the bed. This is the psalm that David wrote. Now think about this: had there been no incident at the house, there is no Psalm 59. David doesn't know that. David can't possibly comprehend that we are sat here thousands of years later. In fact, you're sat here next week listening to Matt expounding this psalm. But what happens if you sat here next week and you need to hear what this psalm says? I'm not going to expound it, but I'm going to read it. And the key words are there, look. The very first word. Deliver me from my enemies. He's a young lad with a hit order on him. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. If Matt hadn't been preaching on that, there are some powerful words even in verse 1. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me. That's the men outside their house. Lying in wait to capture him. Fierce men conspire against me for no offence or sin of mine. David's not done anything wrong. Yet they're out to get him. Moving on. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty. Who's your God today? You, Lord God Almighty. Higher than anything. In control of everything. You are God of Israel. You're the God who caused the nation to come into being and then actually took it into captivity and then brought it out of captivity. Really, God? These guys outside the house think that they're going to threaten my life. But you did all this. You did all this. There's no need to panic. You're in control. I'll come out of it because I don't want to rob Matt of what he's doing. Let's pick it up after the event. Come next week and hear Psalm 59. And I'm sure Matt will remind you of what where it came out of. David's life under threat. Right. Let's pick, let's pick the story up. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. He's gone to Samuel I wonder what that conversation was like. He found him. And he said to him, do you remember me? You poured some oil on me. And my life fell apart. You whispered in me here, you're the king of Israel. It's been downhill ever since then. I was a happy little shepherd playing my harp. And Samuel would have said to him something along the lines of, David, great things are coming your way. Keep dodging the spears. But word comes to Saul. And if you look back a few chapters. When Saul became king. When Saul had gone looking for those donkeys. He comes to the same town. To the same place. He meets Samuel. Samuel anoints him as king. He prophesies. He sees miracles. He knows he's had the confirmation that he was king. And then. From that moment onwards Saul could have walked in victory, but he didn't. He didn't go where God wanted him to do but to be, and he didn't behave how he was supposed to behave. There's an irony there, where David is now with Samuel, Saul had previously been with Samuel. David has the spirit of God dwelling on him, Saul has lost the spirit dwelling on him. Move it on, please, Graham. So Saul knows where he is, so he sent men to capture him. This, the man who made an oath that he was not going to kill him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. That must have been some sight. They're going to get him, and each time they come anywhere near him, they're just coming under the Spirit's and anointing. They can't do anything. That's not an excuse for that sort of behavior in church today. So don't panic. Right, Don't go, let your head go there. This is Old Testament. Move it on. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at, at Sikub. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth at Ramah, they said. And so 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 Saul went to Naoth at Ramah. But the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. When When he was called to be king, that's what had happened. He was given this gift, this evidence that the Spirit was on him. Now the Spirit is on him again. And he cannot do what he wants to do. Do not panic when you see the next verse. He stripped off his garments. It's not going to happen. Right? He stripped off his garments. And he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day. And all that night. And this is why. The people say. Is Saul also amongst the prophets. What a sight that must have been. Well I'm not on about that site, but what i mean is what i'm no listen what i'm on about is is he'd set out to do something and god himself had interrupted it so who rescued david that day god yes sir There, there, is a, yeah, there is a difference between New Testament prophecy and Old Testament prophecy. Prophecy in the Old Testament was you forth told something, right? And actually, um, you spoke on behalf of God to the nation. That's what the prophets were in the Old Testament. They directed the kings. In the New Testament, right? because we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, New Testament prophecy is never, ever directive. Get that in your head. You cannot take me to a passage in the New Testament. I cannot stand at the front of the church and say, thus saith the Lord, this, this, and this. I can say, thus saith the Lord, he loves you. That's a prophetic statement in the New Testament. Yep. Yeah. They would have probably been praising God. But, but praising God to such an extent... That actually, they don't normally do that. They're, they're anointed for a particular thing. But the anointing is so powerful, they can't behave normally. There's none of that in the New Testament. You, you are, you, because the Spirit dwells within us, you actually are in control of the Spirit. You decide what you're going to say. It's, it's true. It's true. I can do a good Bible study on it. It's it's very true. And there's a lot of misunderstanding because people take Old Testament scriptures, put it into the New Testament. You can't do that. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Prophecy will edify, build up. New Testament prophecy will always edify the church. It doesn't direct the church. It edifies the church. But in this instance, the, the key thing is this. The spirit is upon the people. There is never an excuse to get your clothes off in church. It's not that sort of church, <laughs> right? But clearly here, that's what happened, and it and it was happening to stop him getting David. There's a reason why God did what He did. Saul has been stripped of his king, of, of being king. His, his royal robes are off. It's, it's evidence to those that can see. It's evidence to Saul that he's not even... He might be king, but he's not God's king. He could have been, but he's not anymore. But the bit that you've got to get is this. Four events that in David's life in one chapter. And ultimately, God is always in control. It's beautiful. If you'll just understand security in that in that statement that no matter what happens and it hurts some of the stuff that hurts no matter what happens nothing can come to us that God is not allowing but what he will do with what happens in our lives is for his glory it's for his glory. When I, when I was doing this let me just give you a little, a little demonstration. At the worst possible time in my life, right when my marriage failed, God sent a woman to rescue me to deliver me. He sent two actually. He sent my beautiful daughter. I was telling someone this the other night the other night. He sent my beautiful daughter she got my diary out on the farm and I'm, and I am on the floor when this is happening. I can see nothing but black. I just want to die, I want to curl up like a child and just die and go home to be with God. I know God loves me, and I know all that, but he doesn't stop the pain. And then my daughter travels 150 miles, she gets my page a day diary and she writes me one scripture on, for a Monday morning. One, just one scripture on the top of the page and then she goes all the way through the diary and she writes a scripture and a scripture and a scripture. She goes home and for the next six months she sends me post every day. Sometimes I would open the post and there'd be a lollipop. Or there'd just be a little note with, with, with I love you dad. You know, uh, I mean it was beautiful. Uh, she cared. She, she loves her mum and, and, and everything. But God sent someone into my life to rescue me. And then he sent me another woman. Obviously my wife. It didn't stop the dark time. It doesn't, it doesn't change the pain in the dark time. But somehow God took the dark time and actually did something with it. And he changed me in that process. And had I not gone through that process, do you know what? I couldn't stand before you. People will always say to me, right? They always say to me. Whenever I speak, they can see I, I believe what I speak. It should be self-evident. I think it's rather strange that a preacher would preach something you don't believe. But clearly, you lot think that's unusual. <laughs> no, but but do you see the difference? I, because because God rescued me, and that's not the only time in my life. But but. Because he rescued me, I can say some of the things in the Bible that that the likes of David can say. But here's the news, get this, so can you. So can you. This isn't theory. I don't have all the answers. I prayed for Karen. I wanted Karen to sit on the front row today. But that doesn't change the stuff that I do know. It just means I don't understand some of this stuff. Do you see the importance about what we're talking about? Do you remember the questions that that Jonathan asked his dad? These are the questions. And David is asking the same questions. Verse 1. Then David fled fled from Naoth. He didn't hang around. And went to Jonathan and asked these questions. What have I done? Alright, let me ask you the question. What has David done? Yeah, he's not done anything wrong, has he? Look, look, look. What have I done? What is my crime? I've not done anything. How have I wronged your father? Well, the answer is he hasn't. And yet, the bad things were happening. Anyone who thinks that you'll sail through this life and not encounter bad things, you're in cuckoo land. You're not on planet Earth. Bad things happen. It teaches us this. From the outside looking in. From the outside looking in. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. Because sometimes people will say. Oh there's sin in your life. Oh if you'd stop doing that. When actually. You might be perfectly innocent. You might really have done no wrong. And yet be going through a living hell. But I want you to know this. God knows what we're going through. God is using what we go through. God is deliverer. Lord Almighty. Lord Almighty. Rescuer. Redeemer. Anointer. Protector. Look. It doesn't mean you're guilty of anything. It doesn't mean that you've caused anything. It doesn't mean any of that nonsense. It just means that God is allowing stuff Because he's changing us and has a greater calling on our life than we can ever, ever imagine. Ever imagine. And we might be long gone home. But there might be people coming after us who say, I remember that person. I remember that. I've heard that story. Or whatever. I'm going to end with a very simple psalm. Because that Psalm 59 was when David was a young man. When he's a lot older, this is the quality that he could write. And you'll know this one. It gets better. There we go. Look at this. David could write this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. Do you know him as your shepherd? Do you know God as your shepherd? Why do you know him as your shepherd? Because if you don't, it's just words. I know him as my shepherd. I know him because of the bad stuff that's happened in my life. I know what a shepherd does. Do you know what a shepherd does? Fantastic, yeah. A shepherd will go and find those that are lost. What else does a shepherd do? He protects you. Right? This is our God. See, David can put the word my in the front. The Lord is my shepherd. You only know you need protection when someone comes along and wants to eat you. What else might a shepherd do? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Think about what your shepherd does for you. And then when it's you know, when it's not theory, when it's experiential, when you've actually experienced his protection, his guidance his finding of you when you're lost then you can say he's my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you know what? I have plenty of needs. Plenty of needs. Kay has hundreds of needs when we go to a garden centre. Hundreds. Well, what about our wants? What about our wants? Do you know I don't want anything? How on earth could I be any happier than what I already am? He makes me lie down. He gives me a bad back in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. There are times in our lives when we feel battered. When life kicks us so hard that actually you just like a wet dishcloth, do you know how to get restored? You pick up your Bible, get it, get go alone to your favorite place, just you, no one else can do it for you. You go alone, you talk to God, and you, and you just pour out your heart. You tell Him, look, you know all these things, like I don't understand anything. Well, I know this much: have this much in your in your heart that you know is your shepherd, and he will restore you. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God has called us; we are His children, and He guarantees we get there. He will get you home. It ain't dependent on you. There's no way on earth He would put that statement if it depended on, on Alan Brazier. Right? He's not going to risk His name. On my name. He'll risk his name because he's God. Move it on. We end with this. Even though I walk through the valley. Of a shadow. Of death. I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Let's close it with this. Look at what he says. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Where are you going when you leave here? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He puts his name there. One day, you know, there'll be some big queues around some people's tents, won't there, when we get up there. I'm going to ask some questions of certain people, beginning with Eve. Eve. All the guys will be there, and a few other women will as well. But you know what? When we get there, I, I, I always think of Stephanie's comment, really. When Stephanie started coming to church at the Methodist Hall, she came with lots of questions. And I said to her one day, just you still have questions? Got questions, but they don't matter anymore. You don't have all the answers. But this much I know, God loves me. That'll do today. That'll get me through whatever today throws at me. This much my God loves me. Can we say amen?